And that's the goal. That's the goal. Going from strength to strength. That's what we're wanting. We're wanting not a stale or stagnant walk with Jesus. We want a progressive, a dynamic, a constantly growing experience in the Lord. Um, that's what Psalm 84.10 talks about, going from strength to strength. Second Corinthians 3 says we go from glory to glory. Philippians 3, Paul says, I press on toward the mark for which Christ has called me. And so that's what we're going for. The question that we want us to want to explore over the next few weeks here in January is, okay, when it comes to seeking God, how do I seek God in a progressive way? You know, I mean, for the disciples, it wasn't just that they sought God and that was it. You know, (laughs) the 12 disciples, when they were seeking God, it was an everyday living reality. And it translated into being with Jesus. They didn't have to guess, how am I going to seek God today? No, they just went with Jesus. And because of that, they were pursuing God. They were following God. They were engaged and growing, not just at one point in time. It was their daily reality. But the question that I, um, I've asked, and maybe you've asked, is, okay, so the 12 disciples, they had Jesus in the flesh, and so they could follow him and really be seeking him. But what about for those of us who don't have that luxury of having Jesus right there? How, in what ways do I practically follow God? In what ways do I practically seek God? And I'll just give you the short answer, and then we're going to explore that answer for the rest of the time together, okay? The short answer is right here, through the Word. It's through the Bible that we can truly follow and seek God. Why do I say that? Um, We're going to study together. We're going to start in John 15. So go with me there really quick. John 15 is going to be where we start. John 15 is in the New Testament. And before we even start reading, I'm going to pray. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father in heaven, right now we're asking that you would bless us with a divine sense of focus and in tuneness with your heart and with your mind. There's nothing in us, God, that responds naturally to you. It's only by your spirit working in us that we can even listen. It says in uh, Corinthians that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so I just want to confess our natural hearts. Um, That's just who we are, God. Please give us a new heart just now. Cause us to, to look to you. Cause us to grow in Jesus. And I pray that the things that we study... Um, would really be from you, that they wouldn't just be humanly contrived ideas, but that you would be our teacher today. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen. Can we turn the mic on just a little bit? Is this, yeah. Maybe I'm just not, this is close enough. All right. Okay. <clears throat> so we're in John 15. Are we there? Um. How do we follow Jesus when we don't have him there in the flesh? Uh, the last few chapters of John here, it's called the farewell discourse. Jesus had just told the disciples, hey, I'm not going to be with you all the time. And so everything here in John 14, 15, 16, 
is all about how to sustain this relationship with me, even when I'm not here all the time. And in John 15, Jesus gives this very familiar metaphor that maybe you've heard before. Uh, in, In John 15, verse 1, I'll start there. Verse 1, reading from the New King James, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So he's using this metaphor of a branch and a vine. If the branch isn't connected to the vine, there's no possibility for life and fruit to be produced out of that, right? And so his imperative, the instruction right there in verse 4 says, Abide in who? In me. Keyword, abide in me. Does anybody's Bible say it differently besides the word abide? Remain. Remain. Awesome. Remain. Stick there. Stay there. Make your permanent address right in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. When Jesus wanted to answer the question, how do I seek you when you're not here? Jesus says, abide. Abide. But he gets even more specific. And in verse 7, just going down to verse 7, he says this, If you abide in me, so if you remain in me, and then what else? And my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my what? my disciples. In this way, you're going to be my followers, even when I'm not right here in the flesh. In this way, you're going to be actively engaged in seeking God, even when I'm not right here. So in what way? If you abide in me and my what? My words abide in you. You're going to have this prayer relationship where you ask what you desire, but it's not just your desires, it's God's desires. And because of this, the Father will be glorified and you will bear fruit. So, in this way, you will be my disciples. This is key. This is key. So, to abide in Jesus, practically speaking, is to allow the words of Jesus to abide in us. I think this is what he was getting after just a few chapters earlier. This is long before he gets to the cross. In John chapter 8, Let's see here. John chapter 8, verse 31, it says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my what? In my word, you are my disciples indeed. Question, how do we know if we are Jesus' disciples indeed? If we abide in his word. If we stay there, if we continue in it, if we persevere in it, if we walk in it, if we live in it, the word of God is central to following God. Did you hear that? The word of God is critical to following God. This is something I get so, so passionate about because in my own experience, I'm, some, I'm, I'm someone who culturally grew up Christian. I'm someone who culturally grew up Adventist, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus until I started reading the Word. And that's why I get so excited about preaching on just reading the Word, because this is so, this was it. When I started abiding in the Word, I became a disciple of Jesus. I started to follow a person, not just an idea. 
It was the living word of God. I want to show this quote to you here. This is from Patriarchs and Prophets. Um, look at, just, just kind of perceive what, what she's saying about um, the impact of staying in the word. Every chapter and every verse of the Bible is a communication from God to men. Sentence by sentence is just really awesome, okay? Every chapter, every verse, communication from God to men. We should bind its precepts as signs upon our hands and as frontlets between our eyes. If studied and obeyed, it would lead God's people as the Israelites were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Just, just let your mind grasp the, the magnitude of that. <laughs> Have you ever been in a position in life where you're like, man, if only I could see a pillar of cloud leading me right now. <laughs> Have you ever wanted that? If only Jesus were right here to tell me where to go, what to say, what decisions to make, how to treat my kids, how to respond to that coworker. You know, what if we had the pillar of cloud? I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, I've even thought the Urim and the Thummim, if I just had lights, you know, shining on my shoulders at different times, oh, go this, you know. It would be amazing. And what she's saying is that when we study the Bible and obey the Bible, we will be led as though by the pillar of cloud. That is amazing to me. That you and I have the possibility and capacity to follow God as we follow the Bible. I'm not going into like Bibleology or anything like that. No, no, no. This is about seeing God through the word of God. Um, this is incredible because the pillar wasn't just some awesome, miraculous, like, physical thing in the air that they just felt. No, God was enshrouded. He was clothing his glory in the pillar. In fact, um, she says elsewhere in Christ's Object Lessons, I think, it, she says um, it was Christ himself leading the children of Israel through the pillar of cloud. So going back a little bit, just, just kind of back, backtrack to the main point that I'm trying to make here, is simply this, that when we study and obey God's word, we can be led by God as surely as Israel was led by Christ in the pillar of cloud. Okay? And so, if we can be led by God as surely as the Israelites were led by Christ in the wilderness, then we can be led by God as personally as the 12 disciples were led by Christ in the flesh. Do you follow that? How? By studying and obeying this word. By studying and obeying this word. Man, this is a living book. This is not just a manual of rules and instructions, of wise sayings and and hallmark-type promises. No, 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 no. This is a living book. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says, man, this is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's dynamic. It's powerful. It's living because the living God speaks through it to our living reality. And so if you want to discover how to study God's word, um, this is what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about like specific questions to ask when you open up the Bible and you're just sitting at your home wanting to engage devotions, but you're not even quite sure how to even read the Bible in the first place. We're going to talk about best practices, tips, methods, actions, etc. But today, before we even get to the, the actions of Bible study, we're going to talk about the approach to Bible study. 
Okay, we're going to talk about the approach, the attitude that actually makes for this hitting home here. Okay, um, th- and this is the reason why <laughs> it, it, before, we, before we take off in Bible study, uh, like an airplane, like a Southwest jetliner, <laughs> uh, before we take off from the runway, we need time on the runway to check our planes. Okay. Um, it was 2016, I think. It was July. July 2016. We had just moved here to Colorado a few months earlier, but we went back for the summer to, to hang out with our families for camp meeting and stuff. Uh, we flew back. Um, I think it was July 20. We flew back early on a southwest um, flight from San Jose to Phoenix, and then we were supposed to go straight from Phoenix to Denver, except that it took five additional hours to get to our next plane. And the reason was a fluke accident happened. Um, Southwest Systems, for some reason, computers shut down. I don't know if you remember hearing about this, but it was like a few months later that this happened to Delta also. Anyway, so uh, there, there we were at the Phoenix airport. Um, and actually, even before we got to Phoenix, there in, in San Jose, I'm, I'm surprised that the San Jose flight actually took place because we were there sitting in a taxi, like on the runway, for probably an hour in this, this uh, you know, the cabin wasn't circulating air very well. The kids were getting restless. And all I remember is, aside from my own frustration and body heat, <laughs> all I remember was there, the, the captains at the front, they had pieces of paper going back and forth and like comparing notes. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then they explained, oh, okay, the computer shut down. And so they have to do things by hand. Do things by hand. What do you mean do things by hand? Like get us off the ground. Anyways, what they were calculating was the, the number of passengers and the amount of luggage, and they were calculating the exact weight of the airplane. Now, I'm not a pilot. I don't understand all of these things, but I was reading an article just yesterday that apparently the, um, in order to take off, in order to take off, there is a specific velocity at which the pilot knows to bring up its nose. Pilot knows to bring up its nose. Yeah, uh, there, because of the weight of the, the aircraft, depending on the weight of the aircraft, there's a specific velocity at which it's ideal to, to um, lift the nose. Ah, man, sorry, I'm not, I'm not a pilot. Anyways, and so they were trying to figure out the exact weight of the airline without the you know, the computers to do it all for them. Anyway, so it took hours. It took hours. And so we finally got off the ground from San Jose to to Phoenix. Phoenix, uh, apparently there were thousands and thousands of of flights canceled, which means even more thousands and thousands of angry customers. Um, But but there was a good spirit generally uh, with the people that we were around. Anyway, we eventually did get home. But what that taught me is simply this, that the approach is everything. You know, if you don't have the things done on the runway right, you're never, you're never going to get off the runway, okay? So we can be all about like, okay, how do we study the Bible? How do we jump right into it? No, no, no. Before we do that, let's talk about approach, okay? Because approach is everything. Are we following okay? Yeah? Okay. So we're going to go to quintessential example in the Bible of someone who approached the study of the Bible in a way that God's hand was on them. And I would venture to guess that if we, well, yeah, we're just going to go straight to him. His name is Ezra. Have you heard of him? Ezra. 
Uh, he has a whole book named after him, Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, he was a teacher of the law in the post-exile time. So this is kind of like on the tail end of, of Daniel's uh, chronolo- uh, chronology, um, when people from Babylon were headed back to settle in Jerusalem. Ezra was one that God appointed to make sure that the people of God knew him, knew the word. And it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. All right. This may not seem like a wow verse to you, but this is deep and rich. I love this. Okay. Ezra. There was something about Ezra. It says in verse 9 that God's hand was on him. And that's why verse 10 begins with the word for. It's explaining why God's hand was on him. Why? For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So what what was it that that Ezra did? Number one, he prepared his heart. Okay, he prepared his heart. I'm actually going to put this on a shelf because this one this one is like so significant that we're going to break it down even further. So this is not going to be the first one on our list. Uh, What we do know about this idea of preparing is that the same Hebrew word is used to describe priests who are examining the the animal sacrifices in the temple. They're inspecting sacrifices to make sure that they're blemish or they're without blemish and pure. In other words, there is a, a certain level of uh, introspection that Ezra engaged in order to seek the law of the Lord. Do you follow that? Yeah? Okay, again, we're going to put this on a shelf. It's going to go later on the list. But what we do know is that he did not only prepare his heart to seek the law of the Lord, but he prepared his heart to do what else? To do it. In other words, he he prepared his heart to, to be willing to live it, right? You follow that? And then the third thing is, and to do what else? And to teach it. So not only to live the word, but he was willing to give the word. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, Approaching the word. Okay, so the first one that we're going to start with is a willingness to live the word. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. He was willing to live the word. This is actually very, very big because in order to really seek God in his word, we must approach the word with humility. It involves a sense of humility, realizing that I'm going to come to the word, not so that I can manipulate the word, but so that the word can shape me. Right? In John 7, verse 17, Jesus actually kind of uh, says something similar. He says, if anyone is willing to do God's will, like if anyone is actually desirous of doing what pleases God, he says, if anyone is willing to do God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether it's of man. In order to discern truth from error, in order to even discern truth itself, Jesus says, you've got to be willing to do my will. When we're unwilling to do God's will, do you know what kind of attitude we approach the Bible with? We approach the Bible with a, if it's going to say this, I don't want to read it. Do you you hear what I'm saying? If it's going to talk about this, then it's not for me. (laughs) That's not humility. That's more of a me-first approach to the Bible rather than a God, let your will be done, not mine, right? 
And so the willingness to live the word, that's so key. And Ezra modeled it. He was willing to do the word of God. All right, second on the list, what else? He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. So Ezra had a willingness not just to live the word, but to also give the word. Okay, this is really, really neat. Um, Go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, a little bit after the Psalms. Isaiah chapter 50. And we're going to look at a messianic promise in verse 4. Maybe what we can do is hang a sign on the piano uh, Sabbath mornings from 9.30 to 12.30. Maybe we should do that. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. If you're there, say amen. All right. This is about Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy, but I believe it should be true about anyone who follows Jesus. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the what kind of person? Of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to who else? To him who is weary. Have you heard these verses before? This is really powerful. So God has given me a learned tongue so I can know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens my ear morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Okay? So someone who, this is describing Jesus' experience of listening to God and actually hearing God's word. But even prior to that, there's the experience of giving God's word too. Part, if you've ever felt like, man, God, I don't even hear from you. Like when I read the Bible, it has nothing for me. Maybe it's because you're all about me. (laughs) What if we approached the Bible with two sets of ears? A set for myself and a set for somebody else. Yeah? Then we'd have four times the ability, or two times the ability to hear, right? (laughs) Now, remember, sometimes we can approach the Bible just to listen for what others need to hear and not ourselves. Whoa, careful for that extreme too, okay? So here we are. When we're talking about approaching God's word, we're approaching it with a willingness to live the word. We're approaching it with a willingness to give the word. Now let's get to that other part of Ezra's example. Um, That heart preparation there. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it said that, uh, that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, all right? When we're talking about heart preparation, how do we do this? How do we inspect our hearts to seek God in his word like we ought to? Now, um, I'm going to have you jump to another place in scripture. And it may feel like we're just kind of going all over the place. But, but I hope and pray that this will all kind of come together by the end, okay? So go with me to Mark. Mark chapter 4. And I applaud you amidst the distractions. <laughs> The Lord is answering this, the prayer for focus. Here we go. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus gives a very familiar parable. It's the parable of the sower. All right. Mark chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. All right. Mark chapter 4, and beginning in verse 3. The Bible says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. 
some fell on what kind of ground? Stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among what? Thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And then finally in verse 8, but other seed fell on what kind of ground? Good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And in verse 9, he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. All right. Jesus describes four different kinds of soils that respond in four different ways to one simple seed. And when Jesus is describing this, he's actually describing four kinds of hearts that respond to one kind of word, his word. Okay. What's really interesting is that this parable, Jesus says, was so critical that if the disciples didn't understand this parable, they wouldn't understand any of his teachings. Notice it in verse 13, coming on down to verse 13. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Why? Why? What about this parable was so uh, significant of such great gravity and weight? I believe it's because this parable shows how the heart responds to the word of God. Its central appeal is to cultivate a good, soiled heart so that you can respond to the Word of God. In other words, if we don't grasp that, if we don't grasp how to cultivate responsiveness to the Word, then anything else that we hear from Jesus is just going to bounce off, it's going to be plucked up by birds, it's going to be scorched by the sun or choked out by thorns. Are you following this? Yes or no? Yeah? So if we don't follow this, if we don't grasp this, Jesus says, there's no possible way for my word to ever take root in your heart and bear fruit. And so, what are these soils telling us about this thing? Heart preparation. I would say simply that there are three kinds of ways to prepare your heart. Okay? Obviously, we, we all want to be part of that fourth soil. We all want to have hearts that have good soil so that when the word of God comes to us, it takes root and it bears fruit. Right? I mean, none of us would wake up in the morning saying, you know what? I want to be rocky soil today. (laughs) None of us wakes up in the morning saying, you know, I just hope that some birds come take the word of God for my life today. No. All of us want to be good soil. Right? Yeah, okay, good. All of us want to be good soil. The question is, how do we move from hard-heartedness, from rock-heartedness, from thorn-heartedness to good soil-heartedness? Is heartedness a word? I'm not sure. How do we do this? First off, let's surrender our hard hearts. Um, Preparing the heart soil. Surrender our hardness. Surrender our hardness. Let's be honest. That first soil, it says that that some seed, it says in verse 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 4, it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. Other Bibles say some seed fell on the pathway. In other words, where this first crop is, this is not cultivated. This is not plowed up. This is soil that has been walked on and trampled on. This is soil that has become hard. Let's, let's, let's think about this. There are seasons in our life where our hearts have become hardened 
because people have walked all over them. When our hearts are hurting, our hearts are closed to the Word of God. When our hearts have been troubled by circumstance or by by people around us, there is little willingness and lots of bitterness towards the Word of God. There's more skepticism than there is faith. When we're talking about hard hearts, the hard-hearted soil, I think um, the hard hearts are slow to trust God. When we're slow to trust God, that's when we're in a hard soil sort of phase. Are we following that? Yeah? And so if we want to prepare our heart, let's consider the faith factor there. Have we become unwilling to respond to the word? Have we become um, skeptical about the word? Have we become unwilling to receive the word with faith? Have our hearts become hard because of past hurts and life's trampling? The second thing uh, about preparing our hearts, I think that we realize, is that we need to also remove rocks, not just surrender our hardness, but there are times where we're not in the first soil, we're more in the second soil classification, right? There it is in verse 5, Mark chapter 4, verse 5, some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Maybe, I don't know, it seems like this soil is pretty common in Colorado, right? where you're trying to dig some, uh, you know, a flower bed in your backyard, but what you're finding is more rocks than good soil, right? You're finding, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that's actually something that delayed our, um, the, the building of our house is because they were having a hard time digging the foundation out for it because it, they, they thought they were coming up to boulders, but no, it was just rocky. It was just rocky stuff. <clears throat> but here's the thing about rocks. Rocks prevent roots. Um, you know, if, if you want a tree to grow in your backyard, you need, um, you need the roots need to be able to go at least half the, the, see, the depth of half the height of the tree. I think that's, that's kind of the formula there. But the thing about roots is that once it hits something resistant, it will not go down, it will go out. The thing about roots is once it meets resistance, they go out, not deep. And so rocks in our lives are those things that, um, that excuse us from letting God go deep. When we're talking about removing rocks, we, we realize that we can't remove the sun from our experience. We can't remove life's heat from our experience. We can't remove the trials that scorch our spirituality. But what we can remove are the excuses that keep God at arm's length. We can remove those rocks that are barriers to letting God go deep. What we can remove are the the self-deceptions that God can't change me. That beneath the surface, God doesn't need to get there because it's just fine down there as long as I take care of this right out here. No, those are are things that need to be removed. Those are self-deceptions that need to be removed. Does that make sense? Removing the rocks that keep God at arm's length. Um, this, this really becomes an endurance factor. Rocky hearts are quick to backtrack. Rocky hearts are quick to give up when things get tough. So when we're preparing our hearts, we surrender our hardness, we remove the rocks, and the last thing is that we release cares. Maybe I should have said release thorns, but, um, but I think when, when, uh, when Jesus is describing the 
the thorns, he's talking really about the cares of this world. Go with me to, um, to verse 18. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, do what to the word? Choke the word. And it becomes dead. Is that what the Bible says right there? It becomes unfruitful. This is very interesting. An unfruitful tree is not necessarily a dead tree, right? An unfruitful tree is simply barren. An unfruitful plant is simply, it's not productive. It's very interesting that when there are thorns in our hearts, cares of this world more than the world to come, we can look spiritually alive, but in truth, we are unproductive. Thorns, when they're allowed there, when they're not removed and released, they will always provide competition to the word of God. And so when we're talking about heart preparation, you know, with, uh, with surrendering hardness, we're asking God to, to make us soft to him. Yeah? When we're talking about uh, removing rocks, we're asking God to give us depth, not just to kind of keep him at arm's length, to actually go beneath the surface, to change us from the inside out. And then when we're talking about releasing cares and tearing out the thorns, what we're talking about is letting God be priority, letting his word actually be priority over and above the things of this life. Cares of this life, we're going to have them. We're going to have them. The question is, are we consumed by them? And when we are, then we become unproductive. We may look spiritually alive, but really, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. That's why I think um, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I consider everything loss for the sake of Christ. I mean, he's going extreme here. He's saying, no, everything else, that's not just not good. It's actually a loss to me. It's detracting from my ability to pursue Jesus Christ. Man, we must be intentional to devalue the things of this world in comparison to eternal things because the natural trajectory of our hearts is to overvalue the things of this world. I don't know if you realize that. I mean, it's, it's, we, we need to pay attention to bills. We all do, right? But the, the natural trajectory of my heart is to become overly consumed with those things that are necessary. Do you, do you follow? Maybe, I'm just the, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but it, to, to become overly consumed, that's, that's just the natural trajectory of it. The things of this world become all-consuming. And they end up choking out our understanding of the word. I mean, our understanding may be fine. Maybe I should say this. It ends up choking out our productivity in the word. <clears throat> so here we are. This is how we prepare the heart. So, uh, so if we were to summarize how to then prepare ourselves to seek God, the things that we do on the runway to make sure that we can take off, here's how we would summarize it. One, am I willing to live this? Two, Am I willing to give this? Three, am I hard or soft to God? Four, am I rocky or root ready? And five, am I careful or carefree? This is, um, I, I can't say that, that 
every morning when I get into the Word, I walk through these questions. No, that, that's, not, that's not how I, I treat this. Um, but I would simply, I think in the moments where I'm feeling like the Word of God is flat, in the seasons where I'm feeling like my study of the Bible is just like hit a brick wall or it's, flat, it's like plateaued, <clears throat> excuse me, I think those are the moments when I need to do kind of the self-diagnosis. Like, why? Why is the Word of God not making sense to me? Why is the Word of God not changing my life, you know? It's not because this is not powerful. There is no fault here. The fault must be here. Do you follow that? Okay, so that's why we need to check the plane before we take off. Okay, so how do I check the plane? I think this would be a checklist that I would take around your aircraft. Okay, am I willing to live this? Because if I'm not, it's going to really inhibit the way I approach the Bible. Yeah, am I willing to give this even? Like if if God is going to give me something, am I willing to pass that on to somebody else? Because if not, I guess, guess what? God does not just want to bless you. I mean, yes, he wants to bless you, but he does not just want to bless you. Okay? Another question. Am I hard? Like, have I hardened up? Have I become skeptical? Or am I really soft towards God? Are there rocks that that if God were to try to go deep in my life, I would bounce him off? Are there rocks that would resist what God wants to do beneath the surface? Or am I really root ready? Okay? And then the last one, am I full of cares or am I free of cares? Have I allowed the things of this world to take lesser light and lesser energy? Does this make sense? Yeah? As you're looking at this, and as you know your own attitude and, and your own experience in the Word of God these days, I don't know, maybe some of you, some of you have mentioned that you've started a, a new Bible reading plan for 2018. Um, and maybe... That plan is going well. Maybe for some of you, that plan like, took a turn for the worse on day two. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but ask yourself these questions. You know, before you like, fully engage into like, the practice of it, or maybe you are engaged in your own devotional habits and routine already, but you're wanting to say, man, I, I want there to be more. Why is there not more to it? You know? Why is there not more fireworks? Why is it not changing my life? Go through these as a self-assessment, a self-diagnosis, a simple checklist. Go around your aircraft before you try to take off and see, am I willing to live? Am I willing to give? Am I hard or soft? Am I rocky or ready? Am I full of cares or free of them? Is this helpful? Yeah? Hopefully, at least, one of these questions you can take and just kind of, okay, this is the question that God really wants to talk with me about. But today, um, I hope that this, throughout this week, can prime, can prime your heart so that when we start talking next week about, okay, when you open the Bible, this is what you ask yourself, and this is how you do it, and so that your hearts can be ready to take off. Yeah? I'm excited for this. Um, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, man, I know this, this is like, I don't know, this could sound like classroom... Um, dry uh, methods. But Lord, I really think that you want to take these questions and have deep conversations with each and every one of us. That you want to do a work 
But you did with Ezra back in the day where he prepared his heart to seek you. Lord, I want to be diligent. We want to be diligent to seek to seek God daily. But uh, Lord, teach us how to prepare ourselves to seek you. Um, teach us how to examine the aircraft before it takes off the runway. Thank you so much, Lord. You've given us wisdom in your word so that we can study the word. And I pray, Lord, that, that really as a result, we would become more passionate disciples of Jesus. We would become more passionate followers. That as a result of our ability to prepare ourselves to seek your word, we would find ourselves being led, just like the children of Israel, as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. That we would find ourselves being led as the 12 disciples followed Jesus and were covered in his dust. Lord, I pray that the word of God would become so real to us because we've prepared our hearts to respond to your word. This is our desire, God. Would you please give us a willingness to live the word? Would you please give us a willingness to share the word? Would you please soften us by the reign of your Holy Spirit? Would you please remove rocks and all the excuses that, that keep you at arm's length, that keep you from going deep with us? Would you please re-educate our minds to prioritize your cares and not the cares of this world? This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen.